Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do. It's what they've done for over 100 years. So whether you're buying a piece of property, getting equipment to improve the property, need a production loan, or you're refinancing an existing loan, if you are in North Mississippi, Mississippi Land Bank is the answer. Again, mslandbank.com. Question off the top. Borky, is tomorrow the slowest day of the entire calendar in the sports world it's the worst day of the year without a doubt you do have the espies oh wow yeah <laughs> it's, oh man it's the best i can do for you got, got to set my dvr think you know the the one good thing about having a streaming service is i don't have dvr so i don't even want to think about trying to watch that what's the difference between tomorrow and thursday Mm, is there anything going on on Thursday? There's no Major League baseball? baseball game. Well, there you go. That's Who the draws the short right? straw and having game. to play on Thursday? Houston and Texas. Lance Lynn is pitching. It's on ESPN. There you go. A good stage for them. Hey, Dad, what's up? Not a whole lot today, man. Pretty slow day up here in Starkville. I hear you. A little warm. Not a lot of reason Not to get outside if you don't have to. No, yeah. I, I would avoid that at all costs. You can do hot yoga in your backyard right now. You wouldn't have to go to a high-end studio for it. <laughs> You're right. And since you don't have the temptation of jumping into a pool in your backyard because you refuse to get a pool. Right. You know. One with wildlife. Oh, yeah. Froggy. Fro- Did you spend any time in the pool last night, Rippy? Did not. I went on a run, though, for the first time in a while. Is somebody it? chasing you? No, no, Did you no. lose something? No. You you ran by choice. I, I don't Long understand. Carry. Why? I don't know. How far did you run? How far? I made a couple of circles around the neighborhood. How long did you run? I don't know. I'd have to map it. I want to get to where I'm actually like decently like can run for a while before I map it. Yeah. I'll just get discouraged. So you think you went like ten minutes or fifteen minutes or I half an t- hour? I went twenty I went twenty five minutes, had like a stretch of walking and then like ran down the home street. Like five minutes or two minute stretch of walking and then ran for five more. So it's like thirty two minutes total. So probably two miles? Probably. It's not bad. No. That's good. Porky, how far could you run if I just told you go run today? Ooh, I could probably do a 10K without stopping. It would be slow pace, but I could what? probably do it. Why are you going to go the metric system, man? How many miles? Well, that would be 6.4, right? 6.2. 6.2. Whoa. Yeah. 
I do three uh, every day, almost every day. Oh, I didn't know you were running these days. Okay. Yeah, I still please do. Please don't I, ask me this question. <laughs> not as much as I used to because, I, man, I have a jungle or had a jungle. I, I have exhausted myself, my body, working on my yard, so I haven't run as much lately just because I've had another outlet that's less boring. You don't have a jungle anymore. You might have started with a jungle, but you don't anymore. No, it, it, and the thing is, the more I do, like it looks better every time, but like Saturday, I spent six hours or so clearing out just crap in the backyard, yeah. and it's a space that's like 10 yards long. I spent six hours, and at the end, like when I got done, I grabbed a beer and still had ribs on, on the smoker. And I, I looked at that space, and my wife came outside. I said, "Katie, I promise you, I did something out here. Like, it just it felt like I accomplished nothing." It, slow pace, hey, Dad, I guess. I, I will ask you the question, but I, I'm going to put context to it. How far could you run today in comparison to how far could you have run in February? Further. Okay, let's go with that. Could could you could you make it jogging a lap around a football field? Yeah, yeah, I could do that. Okay, that's, that's progress. Yeah, I think I could run a mile, and that's about it. I've never been a runner. You could do more than that, though. A mile is not long at all. Yeah, I haven't done anything in a long time. I did it pretty easy. Yeah, maybe so. Do I need to like go out and test this tonight and then get back to you? My wife would be most pleased with that. There's an, uh, I guess Google does it. I just Google it and it pulls it up where you can actually pre-map your route so you can do a mile like in your neighborhood and it brings you back to your house. Yeah, it's a lot of hills in my neighborhood. Like the the like the last little stretch, the last hundred yards to my house goes from the very bottom of the hill like straight up a hill and when we we will occasionally walk to dinner like there's a, a pizza place kind of uh, across the park from like down the street and across the park from where we live and when we're coming back we usually get the kids on bikes or a stroller or something along those lines and it's like we're drawing straws to see who has to push the stroller up the hill to get back to the house <laughs> so uh, anyway uh, you can text the show, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. A lot of good stuff going on at C Spire right now. If you want ultra-fast LTE for free, then switch to a $25 unlimited plan on C uh, by, on prepaid by C Spire for two free gigabytes of high-speed data each month and a free Samsung Galaxy J3. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Um, there is not a ton that is happening in the sports world, but I don't agree with the premise that a lot of radio shows give you that there's nothing going on, there's nothing to talk about this time of year. There's a lot going on. And the Home Run Derby was going on last night. Question number one, did you watch? Horky? Yeah, I had a blast doing it. I, and I ended up double TVing it. I was planning on switching over just to watch the, the Pelican Summer League, and I stuck with the Home Run Derby the whole time after Vlad Guerrero went up there oh. the first time. That, that dude is unbelievable. And, I mean, just smooth, too, and he gets that gut into his swing. He's incredible. So I was locked in right after he got done. He gets the gut and the hair into the swing, too. You freeze frame one of those swings like like three quarters of the way through, and his hair is like doing its thing. 
It's a pretty impressive to watch. Hey, Dad, did you watch it? No, I was on the, on the road last night, so I did not get a chance to see it. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not poking fun. I'm just saying you missed out because it. I, was... I would have watched it had I had I been at home. Absolute spectacle last night in Cleveland. Rippy, I know you watched it. I did. It was awesome. It was the most fun I've had watching the home run derby, I think, ever. I, I wish I could have gotten uh, one of our children is at um, as at camp right now, and the other two tried to get to kind of sit still and watch it with me. That was a bit of an exercise in futility, but uh, it was good. Like, great drama, packed house. The get-in-the-door price on tickets for the Home Run Derby last night, $414. Now, that's a bit much. Yeah. At least everybody got to go home with a baseball, though. (laughs) It was pretty much, for the 40,000 or so that were there, you had almost that many home runs. They set a new Home Run Derby record. I love the format that they've got right now also. So you've got eight entrants into the home run derby. You remember a few years ago when everybody got 10 outs and anything that wasn't a home run that you swung at counted as an out? They changed that in 2015. And then the year they changed it, they had a couple they had two head-to-head matchups come down to where basically the guy beat the clock to beat him by one by a few seconds. So like it proved to be a good rule change. I liked both ways. I didn't have a strong opinion one way or another. I didn't hate the old way. I just thought you got more drama now. So you get 4 minutes with one timeout, if you hit two home runs over 440 feet, which happened for everybody not named Alex Bregman, then you got an additional 30 seconds in the bonus round. Santana lost in the first round because he couldn't get it over. Uh, for he didn't get the bonus, and then Alonzo only had to have 14 or 15 to beat him. Whatever. Yeah, it was. but if even if he had gotten the bonus, then Alonzo would have probably hit into the bonus time and still won it. Oh, yeah, he didn't have to, and he was going to get it and win anyway. But, like, it could have been interesting if he did. Just an observation here. Pete Alonzo, who, if you were listening to Sports Talk Mississippi and uh, you were looking for a pick of the day, courtesy of Pearl River Resorts and the sportsbook, uh, the Timeout Lounge sportsbook there, um, that was your inaugural pick of the day. Pete Alonzo, the polar bear, just saying. He took it like a. I know he's like it's because it was like doubling his salary. He took it a lot more seriously. Like everybody else was having fun, and he was like sitting like in his own area of the dugout, like getting his mind right. Yeah, he was. Bring your own clubs to Top Golf, guy. He is scheduled to make five hundred fifty thousand dollars this year, and made a million last night. Million bucks last night, and oh by the way, he's giving ten percent of it away to a couple of charities that support uh, veterans and first responders. Nice move. Vlad would have been in the same boat too. Like it mattered in the final round to both of them. Vlad Guerrero Jr., a prorated version of the rookie minimum this year. I think he makes 480 this year and uh, was in line for a uh, million dollars as well. Ceasefire text line, biggest loser of the home run derby was the umpire standing behind home plate. That guy could have gone home about two hours early. He was just standing there letting the pitcher know when he could throw another ball. Didn't, didn't have a whole lot of responsibility last night. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Just getting started on this Tuesday. whole lot more coming up. We'll spend some more time on the Home Run Derby a little bit later this afternoon. Uh, I just thought it was a lot of fun last night. You have the All-Star Game tonight. I think that is an event that is less fun than the Home Run Derby. But I don't dislike the All-Star Game. Is that, is that a fair characterization? It's yeah. the best All-Star Game. I don't disagree with that. 
And it's perfect it's, because there's nothing else. Like when the NBA All-Star Game is going on, we're still talking about football and in football mode. When the Pro Bowl happens, we're there's other things like basketball to distract you. Well, and you're focused on the Super Bowl when they play the Pro Bowl. Right. Nobody watches the Pro Bowl. No, it, and it's an embarrassment. I Even mean, if it, it was after the Super but Bowl. But they do. I mean, the ratings numbers bear out that people do actually watch it. Isn't that crazy? Like, like 4 million people watch the Pro Bowl. I don't think I've ever watched a Pro Bowl. It's like awful. I've, it's definitely been on where I've been somewhere, but I don't think I've ever been like, Pro Bowl, let's do it. Yeah, I'm, to me, like the skills competition surrounding the Pro Bowl is way more fun. Which they've beefed up in recent years. Yeah, and, and they should. But do you agree that the Home Run Derby, what you had last night, is more entertaining than the actual game tonight? Yeah. Okay. Easily. Some juice in the stadium as well. One of my favorite moments was when they booed Pete Alonso for uh, beating Santana. Although everybody kind of saw it coming. He set a very low bar. Yeah, it's a good point. I liked it when they were cheering whenever he hit a ground out. <laughs> Once you get to this uh, this afternoon, we're going to talk with Joe Rivera of Sporting News about the All-Star game tonight. We'll talk a little about the home run derby last night and uh, get to some of that. We're going to try and narrow down the list of wide receivers and select our wide receivers for the all-time Mississippi college football team. David Brandt from the AP will join us to do that. He talked quarterbacks with us a week or two ago, and we'll talk some wide receivers with him as well. We will re-examine the question, how many teams can potentially win the college football playoff this year? We know two of them, but do we believe that there are more that could potentially win at all? Some numbers from Jim Harbaugh's time at Michigan. These are always fun to dive into because guess what? They're not very good when you talk about Michigan against good teams. Isn't that what you found, Borky? Yeah, so Jim Harbaugh, even with with the exception of Ohio State, having more talent than everybody on his schedule, he doesn't beat teams that are better than his. It is unclear if because of a spider bite or because of chronic osteoarthritis... John Daly is not playing in the Open Championship. He was denied by the RNA the ability to use a golf cart, and uh, they said they wanted it to be fair for everyone, and so as a result, he has withdrawn from a tournament that he once won, although not at Royal Portrush. John Daly is not playing in the Open Championship. You okay with that? I mean, no. I wish he had a card, and I wish he could play. I don't necessarily 100% buy... It's for those reasons, but I think you should let him have it anyway. But I can see why, like, the RNA is more like when people think of, like, stuck-up golf, like, more traditional, like, listen to the European, like, announcers, way more rigid. Daly's a great big old American hairy winning machine. Like, they probably don't have the same soft spot as people over here do. Well, once upon a time, he was a great big hairy winning machine. Yeah, he's just a great big hairy dude. The guy gets up in the morning and is... That by definition. He's, you think he's winning when he gets up in the morning? Yeah. Like if Charlie Sheen were defining it? Look at his pants. <laughs> yeah. Loudmouth golf. Um, we'll talk more about Daly a little bit later today. Let's continue the wide receiver con- uh, discussion. Stats, Borky says, from the names that have popped up over the last couple of days, not including Jerry Rice, because it's not worth debating. I think we all agree with that. So here's some guys from Mississippi State from Southern Miss and from Ole Miss that are worth looking at in the wide receiver discussion. We talked a little about Eric Moulds yesterday. He had 118 catches, 2,011 yards, 17 touchdowns in his time. He is third on the all-time receptions list. 
He's down the list a little bit in both yards and touchdowns. And so the question is, does Eric Moulds deserve to be one of the three, I guess, first-team wide receivers on the all-Mississippi all-time team? I think you make a great case for him. Certainly, if you just want to talk about talent, if you want to use the eye test again, watching him play, one of the probably one of the most talented, naturally athletic guys you'll ever see. Not only a, a great runner, but uh, an incredible leaper. There was always a rumor when I was I was at school here at the same time as Moulds, and uh, the the rumor was he was the best basketball player on campus. He, he really? could just get up, and if you if you there's that famous photo of him uh, catching a touchdown against Alabama where his waist is o- above uh, Antonio Langham's head in the end zone. He, he leaped up that high to grab it. So yeah, I mean probably the best pure athlete maybe to play at Mississippi State, and yeah, you should certainly make a case for him to be in in this group. If you're making the case, or if you're putting him on this team, you're doing it partially, as you said just a second ago, though, based on eye test and what you saw from an athleticism standpoint, because his numbers don't stack up with some other guys that are in front of him. No, not even, you know, when we talk about Mississippi State guys, he's, you know, 80 catches behind Fred Ross, he's 40 catches behind uh, Bumpus, you know, the, the yards per catch, you know, 17 yards per catch is good, 17 touchdowns in, 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 you know, three years of playing. Of course, only three years for him. Everybody else on the on the MSU side of things is a four-year guy. So maybe that, you know, that obviously makes a difference. He probably would have had another 30, 40 catches, another 600, 700 yards for him if he had, if he had been a four-year player. But that speaks to his talent. He was able to go and be a first-round pick uh, as a junior. Fred Ross, the most catches and the most yards in school history, 199 catches, 2,528 yards, had 22 touchdowns. Chad Bumpus leads the way with 24 touchdowns, so that's the most in a Bulldog career, 159 catches for him, 2,270 yards. The leading guy in yards per catch, is is it, is it Marty McDowell? Is that Marty. right? Marty, yeah. Marty, Marty McDowell. McDowell. Averaged uh, 19.1 yards per catch, had 13 touchdowns, 116 catches in his career. Played in a wishbone um, offense, so you know when they threw the ball, it was a surprise. So not su- not a surprise that he got big plays. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, if you're running the wishbone primarily, then you pretty much know there's one target. To me, that's yeah. part of what made Calvin Johnson at Georgia Tech so good. If they threw it, it was going to him. And defenses knew that, so I don't know how that uh, factors into it. A couple of guys from Southern Miss, and we talked about it yesterday. Todd Pinkston, 149 catches, 2,366 yards, almost 16 yards per catch, 22 touchdowns. Um, What was Gideon's first name? Sherrod. Sherrod Gideon. 193 catches. 3,214 yards and 30 touchdowns. That's ridiculous. I don't think if you had said before we started doing this, who's the all-time leading receiver in terms of yardage and rusher in terms of yardage in in Mississippi history, that anybody would have picked Damian Fletcher and uh, Sherrod Gideon, two USM guys. I I don't disagree with you on, uh, on that at all. Um you know, maybe you would have had some folks that you know were big time football historians that kind of had it all the figured out fan, in their head, but but yeah. but for just the average college football fan, I don't think you would uh, would go to that. How about these numbers from uh, some different guys at Ole Miss? Laquan Treadwell, twenty one touchdowns, two hundred two catches, 
2,393 yards. Shea Hodge had 22 touchdown catches, had more yards than Treadwell, 2,646, and he is second all-time in yards receiving at Ole Miss, had 173 catches. Chris Collins and A.J. Brown are tied for the most receptions in school history. 198 yards, uh, 198 catches for Chris Collins, played in the era with Eli Manning. 2,621 yards, 13.5 yards per catch, 24 touchdowns. A.J. Brown had 198 catches, so tied for first there. 2,984 yards, most all-time. Averaged almost 16 yards per catch, had 19 touchdowns. And then Dante Moncrief, fewer catches, 156, 2,371 yards, 20 touchdowns, and 15 yards, 15.2 yards per catch. How do you narrow it down, Rippy, with the Ole Miss guys? And that and that's that's all receivers that have played at Ole Miss in the last 20 years. That doesn't even take you back to the the guys that were. Big time pass catchers at Ole Miss in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. And you have to, I guess, I mean, different eras too, because even like a Shea Hodge and, you know, Collins and a couple other guys, like, he didn't throw the ball quite as much, but still put up ridiculous numbers comparatively. So I don't know. It's a tough list to kind of shrink down. Hey, Dad, you saw most of those guys play. Who um, mm-hmm. who do you go to? For me, Treadwell. I thought Treadwell was the most complete guy that they, that ended that list. And that's not even putting a guy like Mike Espy on the list with 136 catches or Bill Flowers on the list. So pretty, um, pretty good stuff. Um, Floyd Franks. Was one of the all-time greats. Played in 1969. Barney Poole, one of the all-time greats. Finished in 1947, I think. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. You can go there for a quote on your auto insurance, your home insurance, or you can bundle the coverage and save at Mississippi Farm Bureau. That's why we tell you to go with the home team. From the Associated Press, David Brandt, back so soon. We had so much fun talking about quarterbacks. We thought we would bring him back to talk wide receivers, the best all-time in college football in the state of Mississippi. David, did you enjoy the home run derby last night? I didn't get to see a ton of it. I heard it was great what? theater. But, yeah, I missed that one. That was one I after I read all the stuff about it, I, I wished I had seen it. But I, I heard it was good stuff. And and you're a baseball guy, right? I know I am. It was it was a... Uh, it was, it was an error by me, but, uh, yeah, no, I missed that one. But I, I've always loved – usually, you know, what's fun about it is usually uh, SEC media days is the yep. same week. And so, like, you know, a lot of, like, football writers will be at a bar or something and we'll watch the home run derby on the Monday night after we all get done working. But I was out of my routine. I was discombobbled. And so I uh, by the time I turned it on, it was pretty much wrapping up. There you go. All right. Well, maybe you can catch it on a rerun or something. It was pretty good theater last night. Um, here's a terrible transition. We've had pretty good theater with some wide receivers through the years in the state of Mississippi. So let's start this the same way we did with quarterbacks. Just give me off the cuff 
your four greatest wide receivers in the history of college football in the state of Mississippi, and then we'll kind of go from there. Whew. Oh, man, that's tough. I, I mean, Jerry Rice obviously jumps out as as number one. And really, the SWAC schools have a lot of, of good candidates in this one. Donald Driver jumps out to me. Okay. Um, I think that you could obviously go with, you know, A.J. Brown has had an awfully good career, and I know it's kind of a recency bias, but he was really good and had a lot of yards. Um, I think he's up there. And then really, you know, the fourth one is interesting because, you know, Jackson State had some amazing ones back in the day. You think of Harold Jackson, Willie Richardson. Um, you, you think of, you know, Fred Ross had a great career at Mississippi State if we're just talking about college production. Yeah. Um, you know, guys like Laquan Treadwell had a terrific career. Um, you know, and there's a, Shea Hodge had a really nice career. And again, he was more of a, a college receiver, obviously, than a pro one. But, you know, it, it's a it's a position that has just, you know, jumped, you know, the, the evolution of receivers in college football has changed so much in 40 years. It's different. But for me, just off the top of my head, I, I think Rice, Driver, A.J. Brown, and then I'm kind of struggling for a fourth one. I, I agree with you on the A.J. Brown front, and I, I tried to kind of check the recency bias at the door uh, because, you know, you, you've seen him so recently, but he was such a dominant player, and then you start looking at his numbers and how they stack up against some of the other players. You take into the fact that he only played three years at Ole Miss, and yet he's the all-time leader in receiving yards for a career. He put together the two most prolific single season and the two most prolific single game, and he's got four of the top ten single game receiving yards, and he's in the top five in touchdowns, and it just feels like his entire set of numbers that they just deserve to put him there. Yeah, I mean, he just... Yeah, again, like you said, you try to think about him. I just remembering what happened like six months ago, or was he really that good? And I think his numbers will, will by and large, stand the test of time. And now that we're talking, I, I kind of forgot to talk about uh, Southern Miss guys, too. You know, Todd Pinkston had a terrific career. Uh, I forget his first name, but Gideon, you know, who played in the, in the 90s, he was awesome. Yes, Rod Gideon. Yeah, that's right. And then for one year, DeAndre Brown was incredible, too. And I know, obviously, it kind of fell apart for him. But, I mean, he was as good as anybody maybe in the country there for a little bit of a stretch. So I wouldn't put him on the Mount Rushmore. But but Southern Miss has had some, some really good receivers, too. And the crazy thing about Sherrod Gideon is he's got the most receiving yards and the most touchdowns of any college wide receiver in Mississippi history, which is kind of what we talked about last week. Uh, on the running back front when we were talking about Damian Fletcher. Oh, yeah. He was incredible. You know, when I first got to Mississippi, he was, you know, really in the middle of his incredible run. And, I mean, he was incredibly productive for those Southern Miss teams. And it's just, you know, that that's why when you talk about just their college career, you really have to, to think it's why guys like a, a Shea Hodge or even – you know, and he's had a pretty good pro career, but Mike Wallace was a great receiver. Um, you know, somebody like Deronia Wilson was a pretty good receiver, you know, if we're just talking about college. So there's all kinds of it, – it's just fascinating the guys that are that are so productive in college but for whatever reason just don't seem to have much or any success at the next level. All right, you, you mentioned 
Fred Ross at Mississippi State, and I think with good reason. Uh, most catches in school history, 199 of them, over 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns. You didn't bring up Eric Molds, though. So so we got to go oh, back to the I early 90s. That's my bad. And say what now? That was my bad. That's just an oversight. I remember looking. Yeah, Molds is, is definitely a guy that would be in the discussion. So Hayden and I were talking about that a second ago. His numbers don't stack up. There's an argument to be made that the game was played a little bit differently in the early 90s when he was at Mississippi State than it is with some of these more recent guys. And he feels like one that you've kind of got to roll the eye test into the conversation because when you talk about his athleticism, it's like he was just on a different level. No, I agree that a lot of it is, again, you know, we talked about this with quarterbacks too, is how were you rated against your peers at the time? You know, when I, I talk about, you know, Archie Manning, you think of him, and you, his numbers are good, obviously, but you think he was a two-time top-five Heisman finalist. You know, that's to me, that's telling of how good he was compared to his peers, even if the numbers are a little different. And I think Eric Moulds was one of those guys that everybody knew he was one of the best players on the field at the time. And certainly I think Fred Ross was, too. But, yeah, a lot of times it's not always about the numbers, especially when we're talking about passing yards because the game has changed so much. And it, it it makes for really interesting discussion because there, there's very few guys, with the exception of maybe a Jerry Rice or a Donald Driver, that really have the numbers that can stack up with with even like you know like we talked about a Shea Hodge or somebody like that. It's interesting you mentioned Donald Driver because he's not a name that uh, that had come up before you know you kind of brought him up, but certainly one that deserves to be in the conversation after his career at Alcorn State. Just. A phenomenal player. He's probably a guy, though, that we think about more because of his pro statistics than we do for what he did in his time in college, which maybe is not fair. Well, right, absolutely. I mean, it's just always tough. You know, we talk about comparing statistics with eras of football, you know, from the 70s to now. It's also difficult to compare numbers you know, from 1AA football and in the SWAC to the SEC. You know, obviously the SWAC had incredible teams and some incredible athletes for a while, but how do those numbers compare? You know, there's there's obviously no doubt that Jerry Rice or Donald Driver would have been terrific in the SEC, um, but what do those numbers look like? Are we overrating them? Are we underrating them? You know what I mean? It, it, it becomes uh, difficult to kind of make the comparison, but again, I, I think it was – you know, it's a little bit of the eye test. I think, you know, obviously Donald Driver, you know, everybody knew what kind of talent he was on the field. And uh, I don't know. I mean, these are I, – I love this series you guys are doing because there's so many questions like this that are, are fun to argue but are kind of hard to resolve. Well, and I, I can't remember if I said this to you when we were talking about quarterbacks or not. Sure, it's about making a list and kind of putting together an all-time team, but this is more really about looking at the rich history – of college football in Mississippi. And to me, that that's what gets lost when we start going, oh, well, this is your first team all receiver group. And you lose sight of the fact that, okay, you, you've got five to ten guys that played at Ole Miss and four to six guys that played at Mississippi State and maybe a half dozen guys that played in the SWAC. And Southern Miss has got four or five guys that all are worthy about being talked about as one of the best receivers to ever play college football in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, no, and and that's you really start you start looking through these lists and you're like, oh, I forgot about him. You know, I I throw out all these names and I totally forget about Eric Moulds and stuff like that, who was an incredible player. Um, 
you know, and, and you just, and then you start talking about guys like Donald Driver, and then you look back at his college stats and were they really that great or were we remembering from pro? But it again, it calls into, you know, it, it's just fun to kind of take down a trip down memory lane. Obviously, you and I are, are, are getting a little bit older. We remember, you know, the players in the 80s, and we, we sound like our parents talking about, you know, like, oh, I remember this guy. And, then, you know, you're getting to that point where, where you really kind of see the generations, and, and it, it really gets a lot of fun. That's why I think it's fun to do. And, and you mentioned this a second ago, the, the difficulty of comparing eras. And when you look at a, a program, I'm just using Ole Miss kind of as an example here, who had so much success in the 50s and 60s and then into the early 70s when, when Archie was playing quarterback, it's almost like you completely discount a guy like F- Floyd Franks in 1969. Or if you want to go back even farther and take Barney Poole. You go, yeah, but that was 1947. How, how am I going to help you there? Yeah, no, and it's, I, I mean, again, you, you kind of have to do a little bit of comparing to the era, and at some point you've just got to kind of take the word of, of you know, people who are older than you and, like, this is the best guy I ever saw, you know, and different things. Not to, not to call him yeah. out right now, but, you know, sometimes you'll be like, wow, this is the best whatever I've ever seen. And, you know, Rick Cleveland will jump out there and be like, well, I remember a guy back in 1971, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not making fun of him. I, his, it, no. his, his perspective lends a lot to the conversation, but, you know, there's just so much that, that has gone on with college football in Mississippi. And I, I think receiver is one of the harder ones. I think it's a little easier on defense just because I think, you know, especially a defensive line at linebacker, if you could hit somebody and bring somebody to the ground, you know, tackles, all those different things, I don't know if the numbers have changed that much. Maybe, you know, sacks and tackles for loss are a little more in the game than it, than it used to be. But, um, you know, I think defense might be a little easier to compare errors, but I, I think especially offense and in the passing game is difficult. David, thanks for your time once again. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, Richard. Take care. David Brandt from the Associated Press at Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. David Brandt joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line, favorites.com. That's the website where you can go to get a quote on your auto insurance, your home insurance, and uh, the opportunity to bundle those coverages to save. You'll be dealing with a local agent who understands what you've got going on and can kind of help you figure out exactly what the best coverage is for you and for your family. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau, the home team. Good to be with you. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. It is a Tuesday afternoon, the 9th of July. We are six days away from SEC Football Media Days. Hey, Dad, we asked the question yesterday after you had to uh, had to slip out. I'd be curious to get your thoughts about who Ole Miss and Mississippi State should bring, not who they will bring, but who they should bring to talk to the 
gathered and assembled media in Birmingham and Hoover at the Hyatt Regency. Who from Mississippi State would you like to see there? Who I would like to see is Kylan Hill. Yep. Tommy Stevens. Yep. And then just because I do want to know about the defense, let's, we'll go with Errol Thompson. Okay. Fonzie Rivers, though. Uh, who do you think they will bring? Errol Thompson, Daryl Williams, and Cam Dantzler. Okay. You don't think they're going to bring Kylan Hill? They'll definitely bring the two captains, and then they'll bring... They can uh, find him. They'll bring one more defensive guy, but... Uh, okay. Um, Morky suggested yesterday that they should bring both Tommy Stevens and Keaton Thompson. Which we know they're not going to do. Yeah. I mean, if if they want to generate buzz and if it's a real quarterback competition on Nick Saban Day, that's the way you do it. I mean, it would, it would be great. It would be great to talk to them both. I don't think that's going to happen. It would be that that is something that if it happened, it would be one of the most be one of the biggest upsets of the SEC season. If if Ole Miss were to beat Alabama or State were to beat Alabama, it wouldn't be a bigger upset than both quarterbacks coming to SEC media days. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that front, but um it's also safe to say that Tommy Stevens isn't coming because he hasn't been named no. the starting quarterback. No. Yeah. That he he, he will neither quarterback are going to make an appearance at SEC media days. Who would you want to see from Ole Miss? I want to see Corral, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it's his team now. I want to see how he's going to do. Um, just trying to think of my way around their roster a little bit. Uh, on defense, I like to see Benito Jones. I mean, he's a senior at this point. You know, so I think he should be one of the leaders of that defense. And then just to wrap a little St. Al Pride, I'd like to see Ben Brown. <laughs> make it a uh, make it a home game for you. Yeah. There you go. Who did we settle on yesterday as the uh, most likely candidates for Ole Miss? I don't remember most likely. Uh, Scotty Phillips won? I said Scotty Phillips, Corral, and Sunogo. Yeah. I think that's fairly realistic if they decide to pull the trigger on Corral. Yeah. It would be a mistake if they didn't. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who they bring. But, you know, you're there to sell your program, and people want to talk to the quarterbacks first. He's got a little bit of swagger. He gives good, thoughtful answers. I mean, he would make the most sense, and it would be a good thing to have him there. Yeah. We'll see. I'm still waiting on that email to come. I, you would think that it would – normally it comes out a little bit earlier than this, but I would think in the next day or so. Thinking we get it by tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yes. Well, that's that's a better estimate than yesterday where you said, I think we'll get it by Monday. Well, I was right. You were right, technically. Accuracy is important. Rippy. That's right. ESPN.com. John Daly is free to ride a cart during the week of the Open Championship. Just not at Royal Portrush. Jeez. A bit of a trolling uh, lead there. Daly's manager said Tuesday he's likely to play in the Barbasol Championship next week in Kentucky. So that got moved away from Auburn? I guess so. I guess so. It's a couple of years ago that they played it at uh, Grand National. Uh, right outside of uh, Auburn, I guess Opelika, technically. Uh, the two-time major champion with osteoarthritis in his right knee already has been granted a cart to use in the PGA Tour event. Uh, Daly, who has not played a regular PGA Tour event since the Greenbrier last summer, is also contemplating playing in the Barracuda Championship in Reno, Nevada the following week. I know we're all shocked that Daly's going to 
pick a golf tournament to play in a place that has a casino basically on site. And that's the tournament, I believe, that uses the Stableford format. Kind of a weird twist. Do they now? Because yeah. for a long time, that was Castle Pines, right? There's one in Colorado. I believe that's right. I could be wrong about that. The modified stable uh, Stableford scoring system. Um, Daly also is suffering from a spider bite. Yeah. Surely he would have time to recover from a spider bite. Spider probably got some Diet Coke in him, too. Uh, and, and some ice? Yeah, some ice. The RNA rejected the request for a card over the weekend, saying it felt walking was an integral part of the tournament. Quote, we must also ensure, as far as possible, the challenge is the same for all players in the field. That from the RNA. We'll go back to the Farm Bureau phone line when we come back, talk to Joe Rivera, who is the National Major League Baseball guy for Sporting News. All-Star Game coming your way tonight in Cleveland. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Hour number two on this Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. First-time guest with us right now on Sports Talk, Joe Rivera from Sporting News. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Talking a little All-Star game tonight. First of all, Joe, we were talking about this a little earlier. Is there anybody that argues with or denies that the Home Run Derby is actually more exciting than the All-Star game itself? Oh, man, that argues it's more exciting? Ah, man, I mean... They keep putting on shows like last night. Let me tell you, it's going to get that way quick. But, no, when you see the smattering of all-stars that the All-Star game has, I think the Major League Baseball does the All-Star All-Star break, All-Star week better than anybody else. So, um, yeah, I mean, last night was crazy. It was unlike anything we've seen, right? And I think baseball really got it right when it came to switching to the, the time derby. It really adds a lot to, to the viewing experience and knowing a guy doesn't have to – a guy can get into a rhythm and doesn't have to just waste 10 swings uh, and maybe figure mm-hmm. it out. You know, the, the time derby is much better. But I do think that the All-Star game just adds so much more when you get to see stars that you might not regularly see uh, and getting to, being introduced to them and why they're All-Stars. I think that that's still a more special, more exciting event than the derby is. I don't know that anybody is feeling sorry for a guy that's making half a million dollars playing baseball at, at the rookie minimum. Like uh, like Pete Alonso is, or the prorated version that, that Vlad Jr. is playing for, but it's a pretty neat additional storyline when you you look at a guy like that. And and largely the home run derby is made up of younger players, where a guy's got the ability to double his income for the entire year in two and a half hours. That's a pretty neat twist. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that Alonso was donating some of his winnings to to select charities is pretty neat yeah. too. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know. <laughs> Some, part of it's probably a little bit wrong, right? Because you're saying to yourself, you know, Pete Alonso's got 30 home runs on the season, but he's only making $550,000 this year, and he's been probably one of the top five best stories in all of baseball this year. But uh, when you hear he's only making that much and he can make more from the home run derby and having one great night than he will the rest of the season, I mean, something's a little backwards there, but for sure it, it does add a lot to know that these guys are playing for the dollars now. I think that does help competition. I mean, who's not motivated by a little extra money, right? No matter what, what you do, whether you're a professional ball player or not. But certainly, the the money part of it does add a little bit, a little bit of juice to the competition. 
Joe, I've got to get you to, to weigh in on the comments from Justin Verlander yesterday. Uh, he says, absolutely, the balls are juiced. He used some choice words. He called Rob Manfred out. Major League Baseball responds and goes, yeah, we, we don't know that the balls are juiced. We know that the seams are maybe a little bit different, that it's flying at a different rate. Our scientists can't tell us exactly why. Uh, they tried to put Alex Bregman on the spot last night, asking him as a hitter if the balls were juiced. He didn't want anything to do with that conversation. Where where do you fall in this debate about the baseballs and how different they may or may not be? You know, it's it's so multifaceted, right? I think that baseball needs to come out and admit that they know something because I think they do, and that's pure speculation. But when you see when when a company that makes the baseballs are owned by Major League Baseball and Rawlings, they know what's happening. They know they know exactly what's happening. Whether it's like Manfred said a few times, the pill at the at the center of the ball is centered a little better, so there's less wobble through the air, or the seams on the ball are, are tighter, and the ball is tighter wound, which gives it a little less bounce. So when it makes contact, it flies a little further. You know, at the end of the day, Justin Verlander's mad because you're kind of screwing with guys' paychecks when Dallas Keuchel isn't signed until the point that he was signed into the season, and he led the American League and hits allowed last year. Then. If you're telling me that a ball is the byproduct of why he was pretty ineffective last year, then yeah, they have a right to be mad, and they need to know why that's happening. When when guys are jumping up from from being ten home run hitters to, to fifteen to twenty five home run hitters now, yeah, you get, you got to start asking uh, asking some questions and seeing why. And when bullpens are bad or, or down, not as effective all across baseball, and maybe the ball is part of that, then yeah, I think that we need to know why. So. I wish baseball would admit it. I just think when they finally do, if they finally do, it's going to open up a whole new can of worms uh, as to why. I mean, personally, I have no problem with it. I know the players obviously feel a little different. Maybe they're in favor, uh, especially the offensive players. But, yeah, there's definitely something going on. I just wish and I hope that in the coming year they finally admit to it. I caught a little bit of Colin Cowherd today, and I know sometimes Colin goes with a hot take or he's looking for a take that's, that's just contrary to what everybody else is saying, but some of what he said made a little bit difference. He talked about when, when teams committed to, the, to analytics in basketball and the three-point shot, initially they were mocked for it, and then a few more came on board, and now if you don't shoot the three like crazy, you lose your job. And that in some ways, baseball, as analytics have evolved and people have gotten more involved, they realize the home run matters more than base hits in the gap. And now if you're not analytics-driven as a manager, you're probably going to be out of a job. Does that make sense in this argument as to why we're seeing more home runs and more strikeouts? Yeah, I think so. I think some of it is that uh, when you look at three true outcome baseball uh, and really the way that it's been played over the last few years, home runs do matter. It's instant offense, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you want to score more than the other guy, and, and the surest way to score more than another guy is to hit a home run, whether it's a solo shot or a three-run bomb or, or what have you. But I think that's part of it. I also think that we are seeing a little bit of a return of, of contact baseball. We saw the Red Sox win it last year uh, with contact baseball. We, we're seeing D.J. LeMahieu. I mean, he hasn't really been a secret, but we're seeing it on a grand stage now with New York. Uh, contact yeah. baseball. The same with Jeff McNeil cross town with contact baseball. So, yeah, I do think analytics play a little bit of a part into it, but I also think that when you just have, there's, every year the game evolves and the way that these teams view the game evolves, and I think that when you focus a little bit more on maybe putting that on the ball, I think that matters a lot. And just to wrap it up, you look at the Astros, who are one of the best offenses in all of baseball, and they hit with one of the best, with the most power of 
a lot of teams of anybody in baseball, but their strikeout rate is down. It's it's one of the lowest in all of Major League Baseball. So I do think that teams are kind of coming back to it now where they maybe view contact baseball as a market inefficiency, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, who knew putting bat on ball would be, would be good for offense, right? But I, I do think that, yeah, maybe analytics uh, does play a little bit of a part into it. Visiting with Joe Rivera from the Sporting News. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. So we're a little bit past the halfway point. Everybody calls the All-Star break the, the halfway point of the season. Five of the six divisions are runaways. And then you've got the NL Central. And you've got the Cubs on top, one game up in the loss column on the Brewers, the Cardinals sitting there at 500. I mean, the Cincinnati Reds are only three back in the loss column right now. How does this thing play out in the NL Central? Man, it's such it's such a great question. I actually was thinking about this earlier today. When all fourteen, all five teams in the division are separated by four and a half games, I mean, that's crazy. And I think that some of it is underperformance by the Cubs. Like I look at the Cubs and I say they should be much better than what they are, man. And we've seen flashes of it this year. And you can't really point to the pitching because while the starting pitching was a problem earlier in the year, it's not really anymore. I think uh, they've had problems with runners in scoring positions to try and scrap cross runs every now and then. Uh, not disciplined at bats, which we've seen in the last two years from them since they won the World Series. So, I think that the Cubs should be a lot better than what they are. But the division, it's that's fun to watch. Let me tell you, the, the Cincinnati Reds. I know that they're in last place; they're under 500. But when you look at all of their peripherals, they they have the makings of a, of a really really good team. I know a few weeks ago when I checked their run differential, it was better than 22 teams in Major League Baseball uh, and some division leaders. So. The Reds are in your average average last place team, so uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I do think the Cubs are still the best team in that division, just purely on talent. Uh, the Brewers are still very good too, but they need to get their rotation worked out. And the Pirates, uh, we'll see. I, I do like the way that they've pitched this year, but their offense outside of Josh Bell hasn't really been great. But that's definitely one of the most fun divisions to watch, even if it has underperformed to this point in the season. Joe, so some people say I'm a little bit of a unicorn in that I'm a Yankees fan that lives in North Mississippi. So uh, oh, wow. you'll you'll have to forgive the uh, yeah I know I, I know uh, it's hard to make it make sense. You, you'll forgive the Yankees question, but what move does Brian Cashman make before the trade deadline to just kind of solidify the Yankees as maybe a favorite in the American League? You know, I, I do think that they have to go out and get starting pitching. I, I just think that that's been their biggest bugaboo over the last 20 years, man. I mean, trying to figure out how they're going to win with a rotation that's kind of been held held up with uh, Band-Aids and, and Advil right now, That's it's tough. Uh, James Paxson hasn't really been the guy that they expected him to be this year. He had an ERA over four. Um, Luis Severino, who knows if he's going to pitch this year. Uh, I spent I spent a lot of time covering Yankees games. I'm around the Yankees players a lot. I think they kind of understand too that, yeah, they're playing well and they're playing above what a lot of people expected, especially with all the injuries. But without starting pitching, man, you can't really do much in Major League Baseball, especially when you consider the way that bullpens are getting bopped this year. So mm-hmm. they have to go out and get a pitcher. I don't know who that is, whether that's Trevor Bauer. I know that they sent scouts out to see Trevor Bauer at one of his last starts before the All-Star break. Uh, I don't, it doesn't sound like they're hot on Madison Bumgarner right now. Uh, Max Scherzer probably is pie in the sky, but uh, they do have to go out and get starting pitching because if you're expecting Severino to come back and be that ace like he was the first half of the season last year, I think that that's it's kind of a reach at this point. Joe, really appreciate your time. Hope we can do this again as uh, we kind of get toward the stretch run of the baseball season. Good visiting with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
That's Joe Rivera from the Sporting News at Joe Rivera SN on Twitter. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Off Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Riffey, Michael Borky in the studio. So yesterday we gave you the Pearl River Resorts pick of the day, courtesy of the sports book at Timeout Lounge. And that pick was that um, Pete Alonzo, the rookie New York Metropolitan, would win the home run derby. Hey guys, who won the home run derby last night? Anybody here? Vlad Jr. hit the most homers. I'm sorry. Uh, who who did they hand the trophy to? Who got the million-dollar check? At least something good happened to the Mets this year. <laughs> the polar bear, Pete Alonzo. Who'd you pick, Rippy? Vlad Guerrero Jr. What was the uh, what was the second-place payout on that? Uh, probably more than he's making this year. <laughs> it, well, that's actually true. His, his cut was half a million finishing second and he is making a prorated rookie wage of four hundred and eighty thousand dollars this year. So then, so think about that. How cool is that when you think about the um the payouts? And and this is not an argument about whether or not professional athletes are paid too much or not <coughs> excuse me, not paid enough or, or whatever. If I had a cough or a sneeze button, I would have hit it there. As a, instead, I just had to like roll away from the mic. Um, it's pretty neat. So 550000 is the rookie minimum or the, the big league minimum, and that's what Pete Alonzo is making this year for the Mets. He won a million dollars last night. Vlad Jr. has a prorated rookie salary of $468,468. Finishing second, he got half a million dollars. He also hit the longest home run of the Derby. Got a $100,000 bonus for that. So he makes $132,000 more last night than he will make for the entire calendar year playing professional baseball. That's pretty cool. Pretty good. It's good work you, if you can get it. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that you guys would sign up for something that would allow you to double your salary in two and a half hours? Yes. Yeah. Probably so, if I had to guess. I mean, we you can lobby out. to the right people and get my salary doubled this hour if you'd like. Subscribe to my podcast. <laughs> what, is it upvote and leave a positive review? Is that the... Uh, oh, I always is, tell is people, I don't care what kind of review they leave. You can trash me in the review, but give me five stars. Okay. So so it's an upvote and a five star is what you need? I want the five star, but then in the review you can be like, I hate this guy. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before they get analytics that actually can read the reviews, right? I guess. Is that a person going through and uh, and and technically doing it? Um, so we talked earlier a little bit about format of the uh, the home run derby. So the the timed rounds is part of it, but they also set it up bracket style. So you got four players on one side of the bracket, four on the other. On the left side of the bracket, you had Jock Peterson and Alex Bregman, Vlad Guerrero and Matt Chapman. And then Ronald Acuna Jr., Josh Bell, Pete Alonzo, and Carlos Santana on the opposite side of the bracket. 
So Peterson beats Bregman 21 to 16, and Bregman didn't get the 30 second bonus because he didn't hit a 440 foot home run twice. Um, Jock Peterson was really, really impressive. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 29 home runs in the first round. That set a new single round record in the home run derby. Defeated Matt Chapman from the A's, who had only known for like 24 hours that he was going to be participating in it. He took Christian Yelich's spot. His dad was the worst pitcher ever. Chapman's dad? Yeah. You think he was, or did you think the guy that was throwing to uh, Pete Alonzo was worse? I think they both should be banished. Uh, Acuna for the uh, Braves hit 25 in his first round, defeated Josh Bell from Pittsburgh 25 to 18 in the first round, and then Alonzo beat Carlos Santana 14 to 13 in the uh, first round as well. So that set up the semifinals, and that was the matchup of the night: Vladimir Guerrero Jr. against Jock Peterson. They both hit 29 in the timed four-minute round with the 30-second bonus, and then. Okay, what happened after that? They went to the one-minute bonus time, is that right? Yes. And both hit how many in the little bonus round? Four. They both hit four, and so that got them to 34 each. Well, whatever. And then they went to the swing-off. And for the swing-off, you got three swings, and then the other guy got three swings. And you end up with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting 40 to Jock Peterson's 39, and he basically fouled it off of his foot on the last swing. That was incredible drama. stadium was just crazy buzzing when that happened. Is that the best part of the whole thing? Yeah, probably. The one that got him to the... I can't remember if it was the one... It was in the, the get him to the bonus, like the first minute bonus time, or the from the minute bonus time to the three first three swing thing, but Peterson hit one with like two seconds left that cleared it by like a foot to tie it. It's perfect. Yeah. Great drama. And then the finals, you had Pete Alonzo against uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He wins at 23-22. to Vlad Guerrero Jr. used the 30-second bonus time. Pete Alonzo got to 23. Basically, his time was expiring there. Didn't use the final bonus time. It was just an incredible show. The question becomes, is Vlad Guerrero Jr. now the best home run hitter in baseball? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Not based on the uh, home run derby last night? No, but that'd be a great undisputed topic. <laughs> I wasn't uh, trying to hot take you there. No, no, I know, I know. But, like, you no. know, All right. knee-jerk reaction. So who is it, then? I got what you're going. Is it still Yelich? Or, or, I mean, he's kind of tapered off lately. I mean, he's definitely, like, all joking aside, he's definitely in the conversation. It probably will be up there, if not the best one day. I don't know. I know it's not the point of the derby, but Acuna hitting the ball, or Acuna, excuse me, put an O in there, um hitting the ball to all fields so effortlessly. Like, he would barely get it out, but, like, he hit five or six opposite field shots that just kind of looked like he fouled it off the end of the bat. Well, it's because the ball's juiced. Or he's got a lot or of power I'm just kidding. He's got unbelievable hand-eye coordination and the best wrists in the game, I'm maybe. I'm just kidding. I thought Aren't it was you? a remarkable display from Acuna. Um, did anybody check to see if Carl Ravitch had a pulse? Like, everybody that was watching the Home Run Derby was excited last night. He was the guy announcing the thing. Mm. That was deep. Well, the transition just, from back, 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 He's just so back, into back, college back baseball that you know, he can't get into the pro stuff. Just be glad that you didn't talk to his son during one of the rounds. <laughs> For the record, Borky, I think something's up with the ball, too. 
Uh, there is something up with the ball, but y- you know, no no room for jokes around here, I guess. Hey, hey, I got what you were saying. Hey, say the uh, say the name of the Atlanta Braves center fielder that play, that participated in the home run derby last night. Somebody say his name for me. Acuna. Acuna. Acuna, right? Yeah. Carl Ravitch for the entirety of the night went with the alternate pronunciation of Acuna, which is almost impossible to say. Wait. His name is Acuna, and he's got the little tilde above the N, and it was like he went with just a different, weird, odd-sounding pronunciation for the whole thing. Where did that come from? Well, because he's smarter than you. Oh, fair enough. I didn't even notice Ravage was announcing this thing, and I listened to it with the, or watched it with the volume on. That, that that's because he never talked louder than this for the entire event. It was like he was like couldn't be bothered that he was even there. You've got to be theatrical when you're calling a theatrical event. Yes, I would agree with that. All right, so now it's time for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day, courtesy of the sports book at Timeout Lounge. I would say for entertainment purposes only, but if you want to go down and lay this, uh, I'm not responsible for your mortgage if that's how it goes. Here's my pick of the day. You got the National League and the American League tonight. The American League is a favorite, a favorite, a uh, minus 115 on the money line favorite, but I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to go with uh, total runs. The over under is eight and a half. I will take over the eight and a half at minus one fifteen on the money line for the uh, Pearl River Resorts pick of the day. Can you be on board with that? Over eight and a half for the All Star game tonight. And these these games tend to be pretty offensive showcases. Yeah, I, I would I mean, agree with that. Somewhat, but I mean, you have all these top pitchers pitching an inning, five sure. to four. No, it's definitely possible, but like. I don't know about slam dunk. Okay. Let's see. What... I like the pick. You win this one tonight, that'll be two wins in a row. Some people call that a winning streak. <laughs> so the last couple scores, 4-2-9-7-4-1-4-3-8-3-4-1-3-1-4-0-7-5-3-1. See that 9-7 and 7-5, I mean, that's, it's, that's what we're looking at. That's what you got happening tonight. I think Justin Verlander oh. gives up a run in the first. Whoa, I went reverse order. That was from 1925 on. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, back in 25. But 8-6-2-1-4-2-3-0. Yeah, you pick one side or the other. I picked the over tonight. Over the 8.5, minus 115 on the money line. That is your Pearl River Resorts pick of the day when you're thinking about taking a trip. Why not tra- take one to Philadelphia? Visit Pearl River Resorts and check out the sports book at Time Out Lounge. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Have you guys ever been to a game in Cleveland, a baseball game? Progressive Field used to be Jacobs Field. I've never even been to Cleveland, let alone a game there. Cleveland rocks, you know. That's what they tell me. It's a trip you don't have to take, let's put it that way. Cleveland? Yeah. Have you been to a game at Progressive Field? Never been to a game at Progressive Field. Been outside of the stadium, though, and just in the city for a day. And, you know, there's just better 
places to visit. I can get that. I'm trying to be diplomatic. It's not. It wasn't my favorite city in the world, but the park looked really nice. And it was, oh gosh, I must have been 15 or so. So I remember it pretty vividly from the outside. Didn't get to go in, even though I tried to sneak in. There was just no way to do it. Isn't Cleveland like a lot of big cities? Like it's fairly recently kind of gone un, un, undergone a downtown renaissance. Yeah, they're trying of sorts. Uh, they're definitely trying. The surrounding areas are, are tough and. Uh, industry in that part of the country, especially, but in Ohio, is is really struggling. Um, so they're having a hard time. They're doing okay. It's just the surrounding areas are not great. I was a little surprised. Um, Thirty five thousand forty one is the capacity for the uh, the ballpark where the Cleveland Indians play. They, they reduced a- it recently, didn't they? Yeah, they did that weird renovation up in right field where they, they, you know, they used to have seats up there and they tore out a bunch of seats and it just looks like billboard space that they put up there. I, I mean, I know, I'm sure that some sort of luxury seating one way or another, but it's not very luxurious and it looks like, it looks bad up there. Cutting costs, trying to move the team to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is. Have dead. you seen the alternate ending of that movie, by the way? I have not. That's, that's so good. You like the alternate ending better than the regular one? No, no, no. I'm still, I'm still with Rippy. Uh, Sorry, I just that was a uh, that was a, a well placed drop in. I thought about putting in a Dorn reference about how he got an outfielder from the Giants. Uh what was the alternate ending, Morky? Uh, where she was actually not evil. Like, they filmed it and everything, and it tested so poorly in initial screenings, they put the other one in. Uh, she was she was actually nice and did the whole cost-cutting and stuff on purpose and really liked the coach and did all that stuff to fire them up, and they won, and then she was going to do some big-time investment into the team. Like, just the dumbest yeah. ending ever. Just anticlimactic, all that crap. Just would have ruined the movie altogether, and they ran with the other one. The movie has, like, three of my favorite lines of all time. Like when she puts out the spring training list. This guy here is dead. I just said that. <laughs> Jeez. Cross him off, then. <laughs> what What are the other two? Um, Can you say him on the air? I don't think so. Okay. I was wondering if uh, that might be where we were. The grounds crew <laughs> is one of the funniest things. With the subtitles. You can't say it on the air, but... Mm. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can text us on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. What's more awesome than getting the new device you want? How about getting it for a great deal? That's why C Spire is giving you $650 off top smartphones when you switch and trade in a qualifying device. C Spire, customer inspired. So hit us up on the text line. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, the whole juiced baseballs thing. Um, on the C Spire text line, a couple of uh, kind of interesting things here. The baseball manufacturing is more efficient. Lean manufacturing practices and statistical process controls are utilized to improve consistency and core density, thread tension, and cover material utilization. That said, yeah, the balls are juiced. Fair enough. Um, Scott in Clinton, with regard to the Pearl River Resorts pick of the day, says, of course take the over. The balls are juiced. Do you miss Chris Berman on the home run derby call? 
it would have been enhanced with him instead of that boring garbage we got last night. Yeah, but would he still have had a voice? I mean, they hit <laughs> 300 home not. runs last night. There's no real time for Berman to do that call anymore. It just is. The thing moves so quickly. That worked when you had the 10 outs. When it's on a timer, time, got a stopwatch, whatever. Um, somebody says, surely you know the ball is juiced for the home run derby. Phillip and Starkville says hitting BP does not make you the best home run hitter. Yes, thank thank you for that, Philip. Uh, he does say that he wishes that Hunter Renfro had been in it. Yeah. Day coming for Hunter Renfro in the home run derby, don't you think? I'd be surprised if he's not there next year. Tyler and Starkville says, I know he hit a lot last night, but Austin, uh, talking about Acuna, um, he asked why Vlad Jr. got in and Austin Riley did not, if it's because of name recognition, but he said Riley can really crush it. Riley's just newer to the scene even than Vlad Jr. is, isn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, he was a... Riley got caught up in May. Yeah. And the name certainly does help. When Vlad was in the minors, everybody was talking about him because he was Vlad Jr. And because he was a gross example of the service manipulation, service time. Mm Mm-hmm. Who? who, Guerrero? Yeah. Yeah. Who is is Chris Bryant the biggest manipulation of that ever that we've seen? I mean... Nick Senzel with the Reds was a pretty rough one too. It's, I mean, there's no like worse anymore. They just do it. Like it's just like the act of doing it. So, yeah. Major League Baseball pitchers don't like the idea that the ball's juiced, or they believe it's juiced and they don't like it. Is there anybody else that doesn't like it? I've seen Old some cr- baseball writers uh, say. <laughs> I know, right? Of, of course. I was Here about go, to say. Yeah. I was about to say. Old crotchety baseball writer guy. I'm but not the biggest fan of it. If it goes too far, I mean, they're kind of at a tipping point, right? Because I am the champion of Major League Baseball is a little slow and boring, and the more six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound guys hitting five hundred foot home runs, the better for the league. But if it's all they do, if it's either home run or strikeout, and there's no other action, the game can even get more boring than it was before this home run craze started. That's what's a- exactly what's happening. It's hard to watch it on television. There's not enough movement and action. I thought what Jim Rivera said was, was interesting, though, when you look at the Astros, that their strikeout rate is actually down, and they're putting more balls in play this year. I, I thought that... I'm not trying to make this about the Yankees, but to me, the downfall in the postseason a year ago for the Yankees was... The Red Sox, who I know hit a bunch of bombs, they were a better hitting baseball team. It was more than just home run strikeout. They hit the ball all over the ballpark. For the Yankees, it felt in the postseason like either long ball or strikeout, and that's why their season came to an end short of a World Series. It feels like the Yankees are a better overall hitting team, even though they're hitting a million home runs. Does that make any sense? I just think there are multiple ways to win games. Teams invent new ways to win every couple years. 14-15 Royals did the bullpen thing where they didn't care about starting pitching. Like he, like uh, Joe said, you just reinvent ways. They they look at the game differently every couple of years, but there's no doubt the three-outcome out, three deal has definitely kind of had its imprint over the last half decade, maybe longer than that. So will this correct itself, or do you think this is here to stay? Oh, it'll always evolve. It'll eventually correct itself. It's cyclical. Get back to a dead ball era? 
Yeah, I think the days of, you know, the third base coach pulling up his pants over his belly button and being like, put the ball on the ground with two strikes, that may not be ever coming back. But, like, you know, there will be some balance. Hit me a ground ball on the right side of the infield to move the runners over is yeah. not going to be... Nobody will ever be doing push-ups to, uh, for hitting the ball in the air to keep up with the Major League reference. <laughs> um, Rob Manfred, do you believe him? Baseball has done nothing, given no direction for an alteration in the baseball. The flaw in logic is that baseball wants more home runs. If you sat in owners' meetings and listened to people on how the game is played, that is not a sentiment among the owners for whom I work. There is no evidence from scientists that the ball is harder. But he did not acknowledge that, quote, the drag of the baseball is less. Rob Manfred says Major League Baseball is trying to find out why the drag is less, but he had not been given answers by scientists. Quote, pitchers have raised issues particularly about the tackiness and seams on the baseball, and we do believe those could be issues. Again, and I didn't know this before Justin Verlander pointed it out yesterday. Maybe I should have. Major League Baseball owns Rawlings. That doesn't necessarily mean that you know, somebody from the commissioner's office is in there counting stitches or, or anything along those lines. But the idea of, oh, yeah, they've changed the baseball for which we give the specifications and we're not really sure why it's changed, that seems to ring a little hollow to me. Yeah, especially when there is data to back up the idea about the drag. And so maybe the ball's not harder, but a ball with the same launch angle, same spin rate, everything is traveling further. So there was an alteration and pretending like, well, the scientists haven't told me yet. We'll maybe figure it out as if you couldn't go down to Rawlings right now with a couple of smart people and figure it out in a day is laughable. The more Manfred talks, the less I believe what he says. (laughs) Are you longing for the days of Bud Selig? No. Not exactly, but it make him very much better. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You ever seen the video where the guys do the uh, do this with the cellos? Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really it cool. It really is. Say what? Hey, Dad. It's really cool. You ever seen that, Rippy? I have not. You should uh, check out like the Dueling Cellos Thunderstruck. It's absolutely worth your time. I'll give it a look. You go down like YouTube rabbit holes all the time. I do. I have not stumbled across this one. YouTube's a pretty big place. <laughs> it is a fairly big place. Maybe while you're sitting in your pool scrolling through your yeah. phone tonight, you can uh, you can check it out. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years, but it's not just farmland. If you are building a home in the country, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe a piece of recreational property where you're going to hunt or fish or just have a spot to get away. Check out the folks at Mississippi Land Bank. Great people to do business with, and um, they can help you, even if it's just in your search for a piece of property. Find a branch location near you. They are scattered across North Mississippi. You can go to the website for that, mslandbank.com. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. (laughs) 
College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. 42 consecutive years of Ford making the best trucks in America. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Here's Borky's random stat of the day via Chris Felica, you know, the bear on College Game Day. Give it to us, Borky. So Michigan is, quite frankly, not very good against also equally good teams. They are 1-9 outright, and if you're a gambler, 2-8 and eight against the spread versus top 10 teams under Jim Harbaugh. In the five games in which they were favored, they are 0-5 against the spread with four outright losses, including of 26 and 23 points to Florida and Ohio State at the end of of last season. They are 0-4 at home against Ohio State and Michigan State, and they are both in Ann Arbor this year. Basically, when you look at the Big Ten schedule, Michigan is dominated by the best teams that they play so far under Harbaugh. 1-9 against the spread outright. 2-8 against teams in the top 10. Favored 0-5 against the spread with four outright losses, two of them blowouts. How about that? Uh, so, Michigan, as a college football playoff team, do you believe in them or no? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think that they they've got what it takes to win. I mean, you said that stat. I expected to hold up this year, even though I think Ohio State's probably a little down this year as well. I fully expect them to lose that game. Probably lose to Penn State. Um, and they have they have an interesting non conference game for me anyway, because I remember what Army did to Oklahoma last year, and I Mm -hmm. think Oklahoma's better than Michigan. Uh, Army goes to uh, Ann Arbor uh, early in the season. Uh, I I just won't be complete. I I don't know if they'll win, but they'll run up and down the field on them, I bet. Middle Tennessee in week one for Michigan, then Army West Point. they got to go to Wisconsin. Rutgers and Iowa at home. Illinois and Penn State on the road. Notre Dame at home. Maryland on the road, open date, Michigan State at Indiana and Ohio State. Um, the question, Borky. though, they certainly can make the playoff. I mean, they, they could lose one of those games, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, and go to the playoff. Their competitiveness in the playoff, probably non-existent. But they can make it there. Borky, I've been thinking about the question that you raised last week. We talked about uh, hot takes or... Um, what was the hill that you're willing to die? What did we call those last week? I forget what Rippy called it, but it, it was your and, most yeah. unpopular opinion. I got a new one for you. It's here. The Nebraska Cornhuskers make the playoff. Oh. I mean, oh. you're probably crazy, but I you can talk me into agreeing with you. Okay, Mr. Mi- hold on now, Mr. Scoff. I heard Haydad just immediately scoff I at scoff. an unpopular opinion. Have you done any research to support your scoffing? I know that Nebraska is no, they're not going to win the Big Ten. So yeah, no, I'm not going to buy into that. Have you looked at their schedule? I've looked at their schedule. They still play Iowa and Wisconsin, who are probably better than them. And then they wouldn't get past Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State in a Big Ten Big Ten championship game. They open with South Alabama. I love Week 2. It's the renewal of an old rivalry game. Going to Colorado in Week 2. Northern Illinois. At Illinois. 
They get Ohio State at home. They get Northwestern at home. They go to Minnesota. They got Indiana. They go to Purdue. They host Wisconsin. They go to Maryland, and they host Iowa. So you mentioned Wisconsin and Iowa. They host both of those teams. Yeah. They host Ohio State. None of their road games are particularly daunting. That's They're a team that could find themselves in the Big Ten championship game, and then if you get to the Big Ten championship game against a Michigan team that you just told me a second ago you don't think's that good, They're Scott Frost, Nebraska, year two? No. I'm, not, I'm not buying, Richard. I'm not buying this one. Well, I'm not really selling either. I, I'm just pointing out that if you're looking for a team that you go, man, I didn't see that coming, then maybe you can think back to July the 9th when you were listening to Sports Talk Mississippi and go, well, Richard said Nebraska was going to be pretty good. Not, that, I mean, I'm not looking for that. I just, I think it's interesting when you look at Nebraska's schedule, the way that it unfolds home versus road, the way they finished last season. They were 0-6 to start the year. They had their game canceled against Akron. They lost to Colorado, Detroit. They lost at Michigan. They lost to Purdue. They lost at Wisconsin. They lost at Northwestern in overtime, a game when they finally played a little bit better. They beat Minnesota and Bethune-Cookman. They lost at Ohio State close. They beat Illinois and Michigan State. And then they lost at Iowa to finish out the year. Again, a three-point loss. That was a team that was significantly better in the second half of the year than they were at the beginning of the season. With a true freshman quarterback who, what did he throw for 2,500 and rush for almost 1,000? Something like that. Really good true freshman quarterback. Adrian Martinez rushed for 629 yards and eight touchdowns. He threw for 2,617 yards and 17 touchdowns. Okay, so oversold that a little bit, but he was a a really good true freshman quarterback and, as you mentioned, only got better as he kept getting games under his belt. What did um, did Scott Frost do in year two at UCF? Won, what, ten games, right? Trying to remember, how many years was he at UCF? Was it three years? I got two tabs looking for research here. What are we doing? No, I, I know, I, I know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm flipping to the, uh, the UCF see. page. He so, was there for two years, and in year one, he went six and seven, four and four in went, the league, and then thirteen, 13 and zero in year two. Year two, with McKenzie Milton as his quarterback. I don't know if Adrian Martinez is as good as McKenzie Milton. He can play, though. I'm just telling you, keep an eye on Nebraska. I like it. Who else has got a chance to win the national championship besides Alabama and Clemson? Georgia, Oklahoma, maybe okay. Texas, if, if things went really right for them. LSU Maybe LSU, LSU has an opportunity. They have the talent that would allow them to compete. If right. Joe Burrow takes any kind of a step up, they have Here the talent. Here comes another scoff. Can... Hold on, hold on. What, did you hear that scoff? I mean, he would have to, you know, he's going to take a step up. I thought he was already the best quarterback in college football. Well, if he elevates himself from that point, then I mean, wow, number one pick. 
But but seriously though, I, I mean, they don't need to ask him to do a whole lot, and he, nah. he's certainly talented enough to be able to do it. If he just elevates his game, if they can rely on him a little bit more, they can beat everybody on their schedule on talent alone. On top of having the best defensive coordinator maybe in all of college football. Uh, Jason from Columbus says Minnesota is the sleeper in the Big Ten. Getting the boat rowed. Uh, he also, did he ask this today? Can Richard admit he was wrong about Michigan? That was. Oh, no, that was back on June 25th. It's been a while since Jason has uh, texted us. Oh, we have a picture from Daniel of Brian Scott Rippey in his backyard, in his pool. What? I got a picture right here. You're on the uh, afloat in an above-ground pool in your backyard. <laughs> that guy's got 150 pounds on Rippey. Oh, that's you, isn't geez, it? No, that's just some guy on a float. Way less hair. He has way less hair? Yeah. I don't know. He may have as much hair on his chest as you've got on your head. I didn't check the chest. I just noticed the baldness. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you in the Super Talk uh, on Super Talk Mississippi and streaming online at supertalk.fm in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Opportunity to uh, make Michael Borky have to work a little bit more. The only thing we're missing is a uh, a sponsor on the random stat of the day. I think if that was sponsored, we would we would get Borky digging a little bit, and uh, I think we could we could come up with some good stuff there. I might just do it, it just because, and email me Borky at supertalk.fm if you want to be a part of it. There you go. Borky at supertalk.fm. I like it. Uh, Some other random stats for you. And these have to do with the contract divide between the NFL and the NBA. So do you want your kid to grow up to be an NFL player or an NBA player? I mean, beyond the concussion and physical being able to get out of bed and walk risks that go along with playing in the NFL. And that's not to discredit it. I mean, you know, most popular sport in the United States, and it's not close. But from a money standpoint, not even close. 35 NBA players make more guaranteed money than the highest paid NFL player. Carson Wentz is really the highest-paid player in the NFL right now? Currently, yeah. Is there a contract left to come up for this year that could surpass Carson Wentz? Dak. Yeah, potentially Dak Prescott if they end up doing that. Is that going to happen before the season starts? I bet it's in the mid-20s. I don't, I, don't think, I don't know before the season starts. I think it will happen, though. Mid-20s would be great for Dallas. I mean, there was a report that came out a few weeks ago that said his agent was asking for mid-30s, and that would just be a bad mistake. I've almost come all the way around on this. I don't think that it's going to be a bad mistake. I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. Whether or not he's a good enough quarterback to justify 33, 34, 35 million, uh, I, I don't think that he's done enough to justify that contract yet. 
But to think that he's going to get twenty-four to twenty-seven million, or that he's going to sign for that, one, I don't think he'll sign for it, and two, I don't think Jerry Jones' ego will allow him to only pay his quarterback twenty-six million dollars a year. Good point. I think Jerry Jones wants to have a quarterback that he's paying over thirty million a year, or maybe is for some period of time the highest paid player in the game. Paid player in the game. I think Jerry Jones wants to win a Super Bowl. I think his son does too. Well, if his son is calling the shots, then you might convince me that a twenty-six million dollar contract is more realistic. But when it comes to deals like this, doesn't Jerry Jones tend to kind of step in and mess things up a little? Not in the last half decade. They've become a fairly smart organization. No, I, I don't disagree with that. But have you had a deal like this where you had to do a major deal with your starting quarterback? Starting quarterback, no. They didn't pay Des Bryant. Des Bryant's not Dak Prescott. No, but same level of star power. I disagree. A wide receiver in the NFL versus the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys? Well, I mean, of course they haven't had it, though, because they've only had... how how in the world in that time frame would you have two quarterbacks up for deals like that? It's not like physically possible from a time constraint thing. I mean, the end of the Romo thing, if they had chosen to go monster contract with him. But he'd still be playing quarterback if he hadn't gotten hurt, possibly. Possibly. And might be making more money than Carson Wentz. And still not winning any Super Bowls. Point being, 35 NBA players make more money than the highest played player, uh, paid player in the NFL, including Nicholas Batum. Batum. Yeah, well, kind Whatever. of my point. <laughs> <laughs> kind of my point. A career average of 11 points per game with Charlotte. More guaranteed money than any player in the National Football League. Tobias Harris is making two Khalil Max. Think about that. Best pass rusher in the game. It's not even close. Andrew Wiggins is making three DeAndre Hopkins. Arguably, man, he might not win the argument, but there's an argument to be made he's the best receiver in the NFL. Again, you probably wouldn't win the argument he's a top five receiver in the NFL. DeAndre Hopkins makes less than, say his last name for me, Kelly Olenek? Yes, sir. Who averages less than 10 points per game for his career in Miami. Landon Collins makes less than James Johnson, also with Miami in the NBA, averaging less than 8 points per game for his career. Antonio Brown, the mercurial wide receiver, makes less than Jeremy Lamb, of the Charlotte Bobcat. Uh, what are they, the Hornets now? The Hornets. Yeah, they went to the Hornets. Part of this is just the salary cap exploding. You ever heard of a guy named Tyler Johnson? Do you have any idea who that is? Uh, no. Hey, Dad? I, I Very vaguely. I know. Who is he? Tell us. He's, uh, he's allegedly a shooting guard for the... Um, now the Suns got traded from the uh, Miami Heat, but in free agency in the summer of 2016-17, he signed a four-year, $50 million contract and will be making $19 million to play basketball <laughs> the next two seasons. There you go. 
ESPN did the magazine did a really long piece on him. I think Pablo Torre, um, on like him being the epitome of the salary cap thing. No one knows who that guy is. Christian McCaffrey still on his rookie deal makes one tenth of what Blake Griffin makes. Blake Griffin makes ten Christian McCaffreys. Chris Paul makes ten Patrick Mahomes. Odell Beckham has a similar salary to that of Ian Mahinmi with the Washington. Did I not say his name right? That was close. Mahinmi. It's like Mahinmi. Mahinmi. My point again remains. Odell Beckham, similar salary to that of Ian Mahinmi, who averages five points per game for his career with Washington. Zeke Elliott makes less than Markel Fultz. Although Markel Fultz has been a bit of a bust, hasn't he? Yeah, well, he got injured, and then some trainer like got him to change his shooting form, and it got so bad they just pulled him off the court and wouldn't let him play anymore. I mean, he had like a Charles Barkley golf swing free throw attempt. I mean, it was just brutal. That poor kid was all up in his own head, and I mean, just uh, so far a complete bust for... What was he, a number one pick or an early first-round pick? The number one overall pick. It had just been brutal. But he doesn't get what Zeke Elliott gets. So if you want to turn this into a country song, it's Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Play Football, right? Pretty much, yeah. And, I mean, that goes back. We were debating that back during the NFL draft with Kyler Murray. You know, we were debating it then. And I still say, yes, if you can avoid football and make millions elsewhere, do it. I'd like to know what off-field endorsements are for some of these guys, because it's not like Ian Mahimni is, you know, running a ton of commercials and car stuff. Yeah, but is... I'm not saying it's equal. I would just like to know how that balances out. I mean, Odell Beckham's probably got, excuse me, no question, has got more endorsements. But NFL guys don't get a ton in endorsement dollars in comparison to NBA shoe deals. I mean, if you want endorsement dollars, you play golf or tennis. That's where you get the insane endorsement dollar numbers. And then if you're the elite of the elite, if you are LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Mike Trout, probably to a lesser degree, then you can get the massive contract. I mean, LeBron, you can't really even put him in that conversation because he's at a different level. It's it's LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, where you're looking at those like crazy lifetime Nike contracts that are insane. Zeke Elliott had more rush or excuse me receiving yards his rookie year or excuse me his soft his, his second year in the NFL where he had the suspension. Then Markel Fultz has career NBA points. Wow! Wow! <laughs> that's that's wow. tough. That is a stat. Wait, good job, Ruby. How many years in the league for Markel Fultz? Um, two. This is his third year, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so two under his belt. He has so a... two years in the league for a former number one overall draft pick, and in a season shortened by suspension for Ezekiel Elliott, he had more receiving yards. 
than Markel Fultz has career points. Ten-game second-year season, Zeke Elliott had 269 receiving yards, and Markel Fultz has 255 career points in the NBA. Borky, uh, you're going to have to forgive me, but I think you were just supplanted I in was. your stat of the day. <laughs> I think that is the stat of the day. Wow. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. When we come back, we'll continue the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.